Sal Berry, and Tim Parrish. This is the Puck Junk Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Berry and with me is Tim Parrish. And today we are going to continue our 1990-91 Hockey Card Retrospective Series. And this time we're going to talk about the 90-91 OPG Premier Set, which was such a big deal during the 90-91 season. In fact, it may have been the biggest deal as far as hockey cards went during 1990-91. And even today, it has a cult-like following in the fact that the cards are not particularly rare, but they still seem to command a premium over other cards from the 90-91 season. Now, a premium might mean that a card might sell for $5 instead of $1, or $1 instead of a quarter. I mean, depending if it's a set, if it's a sealed pack, a sealed box, we're going to talk all about that. But Tim, let me ask you, uh, since this is a retrospective series, what do you remember about 90-91 OPG Premier Hockey Cards? The gold foil packaging and the ridiculous price tag on them to buy them from stores. Did your card shops carry them back in the day? Um, actually, you know, we've talked about this before and not me not being able to find OPG. OPG mm-hmm. Premier, though, when these came out, they had them. So the idea with OPG Premier is that OPG wanted to make a second set. Like Tops made a second set. They made a Bowman set, which we talked about in a prior podcast. And OPG made their OPG Premier set. But this set was targeted at candy retailers. So whereas, like, by this point, OPG was selling a lot of its cards, yes, to candy sellers and candy stores and convenience stores and grocery stores in Canada, they were also selling a lot of their product to card shops. This seemed to be kind of like this little side line where they're like, well, we're just going to sell these to candy shops. But what happened was is that the set was discovered. People wanted it. People liked it. And all of a sudden, the prices just skyrocketed. Because now I don't know if Canadian card shops were offered the opportunity to buy these cards. I'm sure they were because... You know, Opeachy's not stupid. They were in the business to make money and sell cards, and they made a lot of cards this year. But from what I remember is that it was targeted toward, like, retail chains like candy stores. And that, like, you had, like, dealers buying them up for 59 cents a pack and then turning around and selling them for $10 a pack. So the original cost of a pack, it was 59 cents for a seven-card pack. And then there were 36 packs per box. You'd get 252 cards in a 36 pack box so that would get you one full set plus uh, 120 cards towards a 132 card set so there were 132 cards in the set there were no insert cards i mean if you think about it and then the fact that the the packs skyrocketed to like ten dollars a pack i remember my aunt and I were buying a lot of hockey cards in the 90s together and we kind of had like investments in mind and we did buy some older stuff I mean she picked up a couple of Mario Lemieux rookies she picked up a Gretzky rookie but then we saw these premier cards come out and I remember she just bought she bought like two full sets and then she bought a box and I remember she and I just sitting there and opening these packs of cards and just feeling like 
I mean, I was like 15. So I imagine this would have been like what smoking a Cuban cigar is for some people, right? Where you just feel like, oh, man, this is the high life, right? And here I am. I'm opening these packs of cards. And I remember she spent like 250 for that box. So we didn't pay $10 a pack for the 36 packs. We paid 250 for the box, whatever that divides up by 36. And we're sitting there and we're opening them carefully. And we're like, oh, I got a Fedorov. I got a Yager. Just really quick, let me just give uh, some of the notable rookie cards. You had Sergei Fedorov, Yarmir Yager, Curtis Joseph, Mike Madano, Jeremy Roenick, Alexander McGilney, and I'll say Ty Domi because he was one of the most uh, formidable enforcers in the 90s and the 2000s. So he's just kind of interesting that he has a rookie card in there. There's a lot of other rookie cards in the set. 58 out of the 132 cards are rookie cards. So about 43% of the set are just players who either played in 89-90 and they were getting a rookie card in 90-91. Or in the case of guys like Yager and Fedorov, these were guys who were making their NHL debut. And so this was one of the earliest sets, not to necessarily have Fedorov because he was in the 90-91 OPG set. And actually, you know, now that I think about it, Yager was in the upper deck series one set as a draft pick. But this had a card of Fedorov as a Red Wing, first card of Fedorov as a Red Wing, if I remember correctly, because all the other sets were like Series 2 or Update sets. And the first card to actually show Yarmir Yager playing with the Penguins. A couple of scrub players found in the set, scrub rookie cards, Jurgis Baca, Jarmo Millis, and Greg Parks. Notable omissions, Mark Recchi and Ed Belfour. So Recchi, I could kind of understand because I took a quick look at the stats, and I think he was only 7th in team scoring in 89-90. So maybe they only wanted to focus on like the top four or five Penguins or Yager, Lemieux, Coffee, And it's only 132 cards. And they also have Kevin Stevens in there. Rookie's in everything else though. Yeah, that's weird. He's in everything else, but he's not in this set. And Ed Belfour is not in this set. And the reason why that is strange is because this set did not come out right away because it has Yager and Fedorov in game action photos and it has it, it makes a note of Gretzky scoring his 2000th point on October 26th of 1990 so obviously the set came out early 91 so by that point Belfour was like really tearing it up as a Blackhawk I mean I want to say he started something like or he appeared in 74 out of 80 games And, I mean, a lot of that was at the beginning. He was just playing every game. Mike Keenan was playing him in every game. Back then, it was an omission like, well, wait a minute. This guy's like one of the front runners. He and Fedorov and Yager were like the front runners for Rookie of the Year. And Belfour was not included. So I think that's like the biggest omission. Because it wasn't like, oh, at the end of the year, they looked back and they said, you know what? Belfour had the best rookie year. He gets the Calder Trophy. He was just killing it from the beginning. I mean, he won the Vezina, the Jennings, and the Calder Trophy, led the Blackhawks to the President's uh, Trophy with the, as being the team with the best regular season um, record. But then, of course, they got uh, eliminated by the North Stars in the first round. Well, there's another, there's another rookie card in this set, too, that was omitted from a release I think we talked about before, the regular tops in Opeachy release, and that's Rob Blake. Yes. Rob Blake's actually in the OPG Premier set, but not in regular OPG. So, in a way, OPG Premier kind of functions as like an update set because it has 
rookies who are not in the 90-91 OPG set. You know, you got Rob Blake, but then for every one Rob Blake, you have like Stephen Rice and Bruce Hoffert, right? I mean, there's definitely a disproportion of like good rookies versus not so good rookies, right? And then there's a lot of traded guys in the set. So you have guys like Dennis Savard, Chris Chelios, Dale Howarchuk, Phil Housley, and Scott Stevens. And uh, the first four, those were all big blockbuster trades over the summer. I mean, Savard for Chelios was one of the biggest trades. And then Howarchuk and Housley and a couple other guys swapping teams in that trade, that was a big deal. And then Scott Stevens signing that free agent contract with the St. Louis Blues. I mean, that was a huge deal in the 90s. So the fact that Premier had these guys in the set, in their new uniforms, was pretty darn epic. But then for every Savard, Chelios, Howarchuk, or Housley, or Stevens, you have Randy Veleschek, who's now with the Nordiques, and you have Peter Zezel, now with the Washington Capitals, or you have, let's see here, what do we have? Okay, Brian Trottier with the Penguins, that was a big deal. Peter Taglianetti with the North Stars, okay? Ray Shepard now with the Rangers, right? So, I mean, you had guys that, like, changed teams, but they were, like, a lot of journeyman guys who, like, weren't necessarily, I don't say journeymen, but, like, you know, Dan Quinn. Okay, now he's with the Canucks. He's kind of a big deal in Vancouver. It's an eclectic mix of rookie cards, veteran stars who were stable on their team, like Mario Lemieux, Wayne Gretzky, Patrick Waugh, Paul Coffey, Pat LaFontaine, you know, guys like that who were just like the big more than stable. Those are all Hall of Famers you're mentioning, right? Well, what what I mean by stable is that they weren't like getting traded every two seasons, right? Right. So, okay, I got stable. Meaning stable, like they were stable in their working in their work environment, right? Right. But I then you have like Daniel Bertume as an LA King, which is great that they got him pictured as an LA King, but it's not like the reason why you would buy the set. So I guess what I'm saying is that it seems like and I'm not going to say it divides up a third, a third, a third evenly, but it's like a good chunk of it are rookie cards, a good chunk of it are guys who change teams, and then like a smaller chunk of it are guys who were just legends hall of famers superstars you know like joe sackick right so it's not like an update set not like a rookie and traded set like the score rookie and traded set where you just had rookie and traded guys right this also fits in the best players so it almost works as a standalone set except that you have a lot of guys that change teams in the off season and that's why they're getting a card but not necessarily because they're like a super popular player, if that makes sense. Well, with the checklist being only, you know, 132 cards, there's only so many guys you can put out there. I think, and it almost seems like, you know, you go down the list of the rosters back then. So, you know, even if this comes out mid-year. Yep. Like, let's say it comes out after the All-Star break, right? Mm -hmm. Well, in the case of that, you would at least already know okay, here's all these guys that are in the normal lineup and you could go down from team to team and be like, okay, let's pull these three forwards and these two defensemen and a goaltender. Okay, well, that's six cards. If you did that for every team in the league, right, you know, you're... You're not going to have enough cards. Yeah, so then you got to go, let's look at the next line. Okay, maybe we got a somewhat superstar on line two. And so let's see who's there. But here you've got, 
I don't even know if you have that <laughs> with some of these guys. I, there's names on this list where I barely remember some of these guys in lineups. Right. I mean, so we got Jamie Leach and we got like Jerry Latal. You know? Jamie Leach, I remember because he was on the pens. And he's yes. got one he's got one of my favorite cards with him blowing bubblegum in the ninety one upper deck set. Yeah, that is a great card. I mean this Lemieux card is nice. I had to I laugh mean, earlier though when you used when you used the name of Rob Blake in the same sentence as who did you say? Bruce uh Hofert? Yeah. Yeah, Bruce Hofert and Rob Blake. We put it as a comparison. We have a Hall of Famer rookie card and a guy that Yeah. Well, I'm going to say, though, that out of 58 rookie cards, there's maybe 10 of them that you would really want. Out of this set? Out of this set. Better off Yager, Joseph Madano, Ronick, McGilney. That's six. If you say Kevin Stevens, that's seven. We'll just throw in Ty Domi. That's eight. Rob Blake, that's nine off the top of my head that I think of like, oh, yeah, those are good rookie cards to have for one reason or another. Um, so you're telling me you would not want a Link Gates rookie, a Perjuice rookie, and a Johan Garpenlov rookie? No. Oh, okay. No. Carry on then. Yeah. I mean, Bob Asensa. Cujo's uh, in here too, though. I did mention Cujo. Okay. Well, you we can't leave him off the list. No, I mentioned him. He was in my list. He was okay. the first nine or ten names I read off. I mean... You know, okay, Jeff Hackett, that's great. He had a long and respectable career. I just don't know many Jeff Hackett collectors. Martin Hostack, Peter Ng, Jody Cole. Did you mention Keith Primo? Keith he's Primo, in he's in there. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of guys in here. Dale Kushner. The point is, is like, there's a lot of rookie cards that you maybe would not be like super excited about. And then there's like a lot of traded cards. Like, okay, Miko Makala now on the Sabres. That's great. You know, last year he played with the Islanders and the Kings, and now they made a card of him as a Saber. Okay, that's cool, I guess. So that's the thing is, like, I think they were just trying to say, let's load it with rookie cards to get people to want to buy it. Let's load it with traded guys to get people to want to buy it because it's like an an update. But then let's also make sure that the big names are in there so that people will want to buy it. So there you go. Yeah. From a Hall of Famer now standpoint, I mean, there's over 30 Hall of Famers in there. So 130 mm-hmm. card set with 30 some Hall of Famers in there, 50 some rookie cards. I mean, that's the vast majority of the set. Right. So a couple other things I just want to point out about this. So I did mention that the Wayne Gretzky card acknowledges his 2000th point, uh, which was scored on October 26, 1990. So that's kind of neat. That card makes uh, note of that. And then the other uh, thing I want to note is a couple of um, error cards, uh, uncorrected errors. So the front of Brian Noonan's card actually pictures Dan Vincelette. Vincelette also wore number 10 while Noonan was down in the minors. So it seemed like even though Noonan was in the 88-89 Tops and OPT set, he wasn't in 89-90 if I remember correctly because he might have been in the minors. So then when he was kind of brought back up for 90-91, it was kind of like, oh, well, he's back on the team now. And we didn't put him in the 1991 Opichi set. Let's put him in this set. And you know, it's funny. I never really looked at the picture. I never noticed that it wasn't Brian Noonan on the card. So I remember when I went to get it signed one year, 
I handed it to him and he flipped it over and he just very nicely said, oh, I'm going to sign it on the back because that's not me on the front. I'm like, really? He goes, yeah, that's Dan Vincelette. And I looked and I go, oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, of course he's right. But then I looked and I'm like, yeah, I mean, I know what Dan Vincelette looked like. I just never really looked that closely at the card. You just see number 10, you see a Blackhawk, maybe you don't scrutinize it that much. So that one kind of flew under my radar, even though it was well known that it was an error card. I just never really thought about it. Uh, and then the other one is that uh, Greg Parks, this is like his only rookie card. And the back of the card pictures Scott Arneal. So like half of his rookie card actually doesn't even picture him, which is kind of funny. Yeah, he only got half a rookie card. At least it's the front half, though. Yeah, how about it, right? At this point in time, the fact that you had a picture on the front and a separate photo on the back to look at, it wasn't a brand new thing, but that wasn't a common thing at this point. It's kind of a big deal considering you had a color front, a color back, two different photos on it. So I think more people were flipping the card over and looking and like, wow, this is different. Especially for an OPG product, because by that time, Upper Deck was out, Pro Set was out, and Score was out, and all of those had pictures on the back. But as far as Tops, OPG, Bowman, right? Like the ones, Tops and OPG kind of being like not the same company, but they do a lot of the same things. So the fact that OPG broke the mold and said, we're going to do our own set and we're going to just kind of make it a smaller set, even though their OPG set was 528 cards and they were trying to go bigger and include everybody and even include Russian players like we talked about in that podcast. In this one, they went smaller and it wasn't like super targeted, but it was pretty, it was, it was definitely a, a lot smaller size. I mean, it's, you know, 25% the size. It's only 132 cards. That's one thing that's nice, though, because the sheets were 132 cards. The set's 132 cards. So there's no, like, silly short prints, you know, where certain cards are easy, are harder to find, or double prints where cards are, like, ridiculous, <clears throat> where you get way too many of them. So I do appreciate that about the set, and I do like the design. The Photos are maybe not that much better than what you would see on an OPG card. They seem a little bit nicer. It seems like the same kind of photos you'd see. A lot of stoppages of play, a lot of warm-up, a lot of, like, you know, just kind of lackluster shots. But then there's some game action shots here, too. So it kind of feels definitely like a, a step up for OPG. And I think that's part of the reason why it was so desirable. But then another reason is, again, because of uh the perceived rarity of this set i think honestly this set was probably the set that everybody was making a big deal about until they figured out upper deck french was a thing and then when they figured out that upper deck french high numbered cards was a thing and then all of a sudden it was like wait a minute there's upper deck french low numbered cards of yager and there's upper deck french high numbered cards of Fedorov. So then that kind of became like, oh, this is the set now. This one is rarer. This one is more valuable, right? Like back then it was always about rarity, even though the cards were so easy to find. Uh, and, you know, rarity equating value in, in some way, in many ways, I guess. But that's assuming you classify those. I mean, Upper Deck does that now where they make, they insert the French variations into their set as a novelty to harken back to, hey, we had a French version of Upper Deck at one point in time as well. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that wasn't something that was that readily available. This was, for all intents and purposes, a major release. 
Mm-hmm. And so I don't necessarily consider Upper Deck French to be a major release, even though yes. it was in French speaking areas. But in the United States, I mean, Upper Deck French, did you see stores, grocery stores and no. and the convenience stores and your hobby shops getting cases of Upper Deck French? No. No. Did you see OPG Premier at some of those places? Maybe. Card stores, uh, yes. Convenience stores, no. Not in not in the United States. The the one hobby shop I had where they had these, I know you mentioned they were ten bucks a pack. I don't remember them being that high. I remember them being about six. Okay. And I, even I thought that was insanity. I'm like, I could never afford that. And I think I may have bought three or four packs ever in my entire life at that point, mm-hmm. just because. And I got a fetter off in one of the packs that I bought. I still have that fetter off. Nice. That was the, the best to card this. to get. Well, I thought the auger card would be the best one to get myself. I would have preferred that one. But, and you know, what's funny is I've seen some throwback YouTube videos of people opening boxes of this. Mm-hmm. And it's funny to see how the collation of some of these boxes go because in many, I've seen the Yager pulled from the same pack as the Fedorov. Really? In the same pack. Okay. I've seen packs where there's five rookie cards in the same pack. So it's like the chances of actually getting something decent for the $6 or the $10 was actually probably pretty good at the time, mm-hmm. considering the rookie cards that were in there. And if that's what you were chasing, you know, obviously we're looking back on this a million years later and saying, okay, well, nobody in their right mind would have wanted a Yarmo Millis or Millis. Yeah, Yarmo Millis rookie card at the time. But who knows? Maybe there's a huge North Stars fan back then that was really looking forward to that. But from that standpoint, I was never in on them. The other thing, too, is at the time when I saw them, I was like, wow, these are like Bowman with premium card stock. Because if you look at the front of the cards, while I agree with you that the the photos could use some more action shots, I think they use a lot of the same concept of the photos like Bowman does. Mm -hmm. But they're clearer pictures, less dark pictures, and they focus more on the player rather than showing a bunch of stuff in the background that's sort of blurred out and dark. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, if you go through the checklist and you you look at the card fronts and the images that they use, that's kind of what it is. It's not a full bleed photo. There is a border, but the focus of the card is the player rather than like the regular Opeachy that used the tops design where it had this huge border that's kind of intrusive and squeezes into the picture. Mm -hmm. This has a lot more focus on the player being shown. One thing that they did was that a lot of the, the shots, if the player is standing upright, uh, they have his head actually poke out from beyond the photo and overlap that top gold border. So, like, if it's a goalie in a crouch, like I'm looking at Bruce Hoffert here, and he's in a crouch, so his head is under the border, but I'm looking at Ron Hextall, and he's standing more upright, so his head is actually touching the top gold border. So that was kind of like... A big deal a little bit. I mean, yeah, the tops and the Opeachy did that also with that hockey stick that was on the top border. Here it seems kind of cooler. Like the player is breaking out, you know, like looking at the Yager card and he's like breaking the fourth wall. 
He's breaking the fourth border, right? Well, look at the Messier one. His head's breaking through and his skate is breaking through. Oh, yeah. Actually, the Messier one, that is kind of interesting that his skate is actually, yeah, going beyond that bottom border because you can't contain the moose. The moose is on the loose. Yeah, and then I'm looking at Jarmo Millis's card and, yeah, his head is breaking out of that top border, but he's clearly not playing if his helmet is off and he's standing next to a player, probably a warm-up or something. Andy Moog is interesting because he looks like he's making a, a high glove save. And so his glove is actually reaching up and breaking that top border. So that's also kind of cool. Now that I look at a few of them, like the Keith Primo card, mm-hmm. his right glove is coming out of the side border too. So mm-hmm. not only did they do the top and bottom, but they did some on the sides. Yeah. And then I'm looking at like the Mike Ricci card, even though there's two other players in that photo it's action oriented and it's really it's focused on him i mean you could see him you could see the puck uh you could see two devils players battling him it's pretty cool action shot i mean there's probably better action shots i've always liked the dennis savard card because he's kind of leaning really hard digging in his skates and ronix making a tight turn there's some good shots there's some good close-ups i mean it's your typical Tops are Opeachy mix, but it seems to be definitely skewed with more action shots. So there are a few goofy shots though too. Okay. Like the Mike Vernon card is mm-hmm. being photo photo bombed by Pat Lafontaine. Yes. Like he's just kind of drifted into the shot and he's sort of blurry, but not really. Mm-hmm. So it's like you're like, oh, it's Mike Vernon. What? What why 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 is he here? And so it's mm-hmm. like two cards kind of bled together. I always mm-hmm. thought that one was funny. That was like uh, a photobomb before a photobomb existed. You know, another thing, too, is that the design is nice, and it's nice enough that Opeachy recycled this design for its 1991 baseball set. It did a it did an Opeachy premiere baseball set in 91. Same layout on the back, same layout on the front. It's kind of neat. You know, it's one of the few times I could think of where a hockey card has influenced a baseball design instead of the other way around which was released first well this would have been released in uh 1991 season and opg premier baseball would have been released during the 91 major league baseball season so this came first okay do you know when this was actually hit did it hit like in october or november of the season it couldn't have been october or november because the gretzky card acknowledges his 2000th point from october 26th of 1990. this wasn't a late season release this was a mid-season release i gotcha that's why i ask because like with baseball releases like tops flagship set they usually try to get that out like right about the time you start to get you know the buzz about spring training and all that kind of stuff going on in february that's when you start to see the first baseball sets roll out so, so it's like they picked the design and they decided this is what we're going to use. Mm-hmm. So there was an OPG Premier Baseball set in 91 that used this design. Another thing I want to point out is that there was a box set that was released. And I'll tell you this. The box set, right as, you know, uh, sports cards became junk wax. And now there's this junk wax renaissance and everybody can't get enough junk wax. And you're seeing a factory sealed set selling for like $250, which is crazy. And the thing, though, is that even when I was doing sports card shows, going to sports card shows, and I want to say since 2006 is when I really started going religiously, one or two shows a year, if not three. And, you know, I would look and they'd have, you know, a table might have a 90, 91 score. 
factory set for $5. And I'd go, oh, I got that already. Or they might have a 9192 score factory set for $5 and say, ah, you know what, I'm going to buy that and not open it just to have the factory set because I like the way factory sets look, right? You know, I mean, I have a couple of 9091 Tops factory sets because either I got them cheap or I bought them back in the day, I can't remember. But the thing is, is that if I have the time and the room and the money, I will collect a factory set and just keep it sealed. The Opeachy Premier factory set never got low enough to a point where I thought I was going to buy it. Because, you know, the dealer would have like $5 sets, but then that one would be 40. And I'd be like, 40? Really? Come on. That dealer is selling the set for $10. It's not a factory set. But I mean, this is like when it was really junk wax era stuff when you were like getting a box of score for $5. And I understand a score is not OPG Premier. And that a box of OPG Premier, if, you know, a box of tops was $5, a box of Premier might be $20, might be a little more. I mean, a lot of the stuff was broken back in the day because people wanted to pull those rookie cards. What I'm saying is that the factory set, I would have paid 20 for it. Never found it for 20. It was always like 30 to 40, 50, sometimes 70. And be like, what? This is the height of the junk wax era. And you're, you're selling this set, which is, un I don't even want to say it's uncommon. Eh, maybe we'll say it's uncommon, but it's not rare by any means. Well, it's rare in quotations for the time. Mm -hmm. You have to consider the time frame. And if you rolled it all the way back to 9091 and looked at all the landscape of the hockey cards, yes, this set was rare. But you're right. In the grand scheme of things, it's not, it's not today rare. It's that time rare. Yes. And so I think that's part of what like gave this set just kind of like this kind of like, I don't want to say mythic, Maybe a little bit mythic, but not really. Maybe cult-like. Mythic this... would be the Stanley Cup hologram, because that was just, like, legendary, right? But this was kind of like... You could say oh, it has OPG. mystique. Mystique. That's a there good go. one. There's a good word. So, I mean, when I wrote my uh, my ranking of the 9091 sets, I ranked this one fifth out of seven. I put it ahead of Bowman and Tops because even though it does have good rookie cards and it does have a nice design... I don't think it has the best design of 9091 sets, and it's not the most comprehensive. It's like probably, I think it is the smallest set that was released that year. So at 132 cards, I mean, you're collecting the set because you like old hockey cards, not because you're trying to get a card of every player. If you want a card of every player and every referee and every coach, etc., you buy like a pro set set. Or if you want a set with like a lot of like prospects, maybe you buy like score because it had it like prospects, um, uh, subset right and this was just kind of like you know like i said its own kind of strange animal but it, it doesn't do anything better that the other sets don't already do yeah it definitely doesn't fit the mold of all the other sets and you know like another thing too like and then even still like even though like the pictures are color on the back you know the backs are color and the front are co you know of course the fronts are color but the backs are full color which is which was a big deal for an opg set at the time they're still kind of printed on cardstock. I mean, this is the same stock that they used on 9091 OPG regular cards. So there's nothing like super about it. It's not like the upper deck cards that were like printed on that heavier stock and had that really rich photo on the back as well as on the front. Like where the backs almost, the backs and the fronts on old upper deck cards look the same, right? I mean, they just had that same quality on both sides. This you could definitely tell what the front is and what the back is. Not yeah. quite printed on a paper bag like an OPG card from the mid-80s, but 
printed on a white paper bag. So definitely like from a drugstore. So like a step up. A prescription bag. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah, they always print, those are always white. They're not like the brown yeah. bags or like the, the white bags. So I, uh, do we you don't want the s- color of tree pulp. We want to like make it actually look white. Did you ever get around to completing the set or buying the set? I have a full set, yes, mm-hmm. that I bought at a show. Boy, I wonder if I can put a year on it. I don't know that I can remember what exact year it is, but. Went to a show, it was a local show, it was a small one, I believe it was like at a VFW, mm-hmm. and walked around the whole entire floor, not a single person had hockey cards. I'm going to say this was back, had to be late 90s, mm-hmm. no one had any hockey cards at all. Mm-hmm. And then I found this one guy who had one box of hockey cards, and it was just a small shoe box. Mm-hmm. And... I started thumbing through him. He's like, are you into hockey cards? I'm like, yeah. He's like, oh, I don't have any hockey customers. And as you can see, none of the rest of the guys here do here either. He's like, hundred bucks. You can have the whole box. And I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. So I gave him a hundred bucks, took the whole box. There was a full set of this in there. Nice. Anything else in there worthwhile? Oh, yeah. There was um Four jewel cases, the the little hundred card jewel cases. Mm-hmm. There were four of them. Uh, one with eighty five. Was it eighty five tops? Yeah, one with eighty five, one with eighty six, one with eighty seven. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, all the stars and most of the rookies. Nice. Were in each of those. Oh, very cool. Um, and then there was just like a whole host of single stuff, which at that time, I mean, you look at it now, you're like, wow, that's some heavy duty stuff. You look at it then, then it was still being lumped into that junk wax era. There was that whole moment in the late 90s where all the focus got shifted and it was like, uh, we're all jaded on all this money we spent the first half of this decade on stuff. Everything's garbage that was made since 1979. And we don't want it anymore. So people were dumping it. Dealers were dumping it. They were trying to get rid of it. Like you said, you could find boxes for five bucks easily. Mm-hmm. Hell, two years ago, you could find boxes of the stuff for fairly cheap. Not yes. the not the premiere, but the 90, 91, 92 era stuff. You could always find wax boxes for five, ten bucks easily. Premiere was, like you said, 20, maybe 30 for a box of it. But even still to be able to get all of these type of rookies. And if you're into that sort of thing, being able to pull something decent that looks good to grade with sharp corners and fairly centered from that time frame, that was pretty good. But late nineties, people were giving this stuff away. So premiere was kind of like its own thing for a while. So there was a 91, 92 premiere set, which looks a lot like the 90, 91 set. Uh, The fronts look kind of like them a bit. Uh, the backs look different, but the 9192 set, nowhere near as rare. And it's kind of funny because OPG really doubled down on 9192. They made a bigger set at 198 cards. So, of course, you have like single prints and double prints. And I actually bought a box of 9192 OPG just for fun and uh, opened it. It was like $5. I do not believe I built a complete set from a full box of 9192. Now, of course, that's 198 cards, but because they were single prints and double prints, it was just nuts 
how the collation was with that. It was just terrible. And then the 92-93 OPG premiere was really an odd set because it really just focused on rookies and traded guys and no, like, star players. And then it put, like, all the star players in, like, an insert set. And then for 93-94, the premiere name was actually used by Tops and OPG because uh, what happened was the National Hockey League said to the companies, you can only make two hockey card sets. So Froset had folded. So Upper Deck absorbed Parkers. They made Upper Deck and they made Parkers. And that was their thing. Score did score and Pinnacle, because those were their two things. Tops dumped Bowman because it wanted to make a top set, because it's tops, and it wanted to make a stadium club set, right? So what they ended up doing with tops, they just called the set Premier. And if it was in the U.S., it was Tops Premier. And if it was in Canada, it was Opeachy Premier. And then there was a top stadium club, and then there was an Opeachy Stadium Club. So those are like the two sets that both of those companies did. They didn't try to diversify. Like, they could have done Premier and Bowman and Stadium Club and kind of made that work somehow. But, yeah. So it's just kind of interesting that, like, Opeachy's idea of Premier got pulled over and became like the mainstream tops release for a couple of years until the NHL relaxed that policy and said, all right, you can make print as many sets as you want because the NHLPA wants more money. And I guess we do too. So, you know, yeah. All right. I like the 93, 94 set. That was the first year they went all crazy and did like the gold inserts and the black gold inserts and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And they did two. They did two separate series. Yeah, the top set and Opeachy set that looked the same. But yeah, so premiere. I don't did like the ninety two, ninety three. I like the ninety three, ninety four. Yeah, well, the ninety two, ninety three. We'll talk. We'll save that for another time. But that is just a terrible set. Yeah, um, I don't like it. But the ninety ninety one was pretty good. You know, looking at the looking at the the front of the box here, they picture Sergey Fedorov and John Cullen. Those are the two guys that they're really trying to sell you on. And then at the top, really small, Vincent Danfus, Mike Sillinger, Randy Veleshek. You got a box cover right there? Steve Iserman and Adam Oates. Yeah, when we bought the box, I saved the box top. I cut the box top off of the box, cool. and I kept that. What I used to do is I used to um, glue them to a cardboard. Because I didn't know better. So even though I was cutting up the box because the box is worthless or worth less than the cards inside, I still kept the box covers, put them on a uh, a magazine backer board, and then put that in like a magazine page, and then use that as a cover page for the set. I cut the tops off of boxes too, but I I generally use them as labels for boxes. Hmm. So for set boxes, so. But this one does not have that as a label for it because I have this set actually in a one of those jewel boxes. Mm, okay. Because so, that's what it came in. So I kept it in it and it's still in it today. So oh, haven't nice. touched it actually mm-hmm. for many, many years. It's just in a box. Yeah, I guess as long as you know that every card is there, that's good enough, right? I checked it after I bought it and everything was there. All the rookie cards were in there. Mm-hmm. It was it was there. Although I did not check to see if it was made up of any counterfeit cards. I'll never forget oh. the time I went to the show 
Because this set's highly counterfeited. It was back in the day because it was so sought after, especially the Fedorov and Yager card. But there was a guy at a show that had like 30 Yager rookies and probably the same of the Fedorov. Mm-hmm. And they were sitting in a sitting in his little glass case. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at it. I was like, wow, that's a lot of those. Um, you usually see a few, but you don't see that many. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of looking at them. And I'm like, something's off about these. And I noticed that the the gold stripe across the top mm-hmm. was less gold mm-hmm. and more like a sandy color. Right. And I'm like, something's something's weird about this. And I asked the guy if I could see one of them. So he pulls one out and he shows it to me. And I flip it over on the back. And the NHL logo on the back was completely illegible. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is fake. This is one of the counterfeits. And so I handed it back to the guy, and he's like, it's not counterfeit. Those those are real. Those were pack-pulled myself. And I went, okay, buddy. <laughs> I just kind of kept walking. So he would have had to have uh, bought 15 boxes to pull 30 of those. Probably. All things being ideal. Yeah, I mean, they were so fake. And that was one of the telltale signs I remember of looking at those was if you look at the NHL logo on the back, it was always washed out. And that's a good point, that this is one of the few 9091 hockey cards that were counterfeited. Because, I mean, okay, Gretzky cards have been counterfeited. Lemieux cards have been counterfeated. Wah cards have been counterfeited. Oh, you, um, always, you always target the big dogs. No one's going to counterfeit the John Cullen card on the box, you know. But the 9091, if you think about it, Upper deck cards could not be counterfeited because of that hologram on the back, right? That pretty much made it impossible. Nobody was going to counterfeit score, pro set, Bowman, tops, or Opeachy, right? Because those are all pretty low end. Right. So the only cards that were really going to get counterfeited in 9091 are the Opeachy Premier cards. The only other early 90s hockey cards that I could think of that were counterfeited were the 92-93 Eric Lindros cards that were put in the Bowman set and that were put in the top set because those were considered desirable because those were Lindros's uh, some of his earliest cards. I know those were counterfeited. And, and, and there are cards in this set that were counterfeited. But yeah, really, this was the only set that was worth counterfeiting and could be counterfeited. Well, it even makes me wonder, like now that we live in the time of everything's got to be graded and have a high grade on it and stuff like that, you know, considering I walked, and this was years ago, but I walked by a table and this guy has 30 of a card where I didn't think anybody would ever have 30 of those in one sitting and to come to find out at least one of them was counterfeit. Right. I'm guessing the rest of them were too, because they looked very similar. Mm-hmm. I didn't check the backs to make sure, but you know, the fact that there are subtle differences that you know you can distinguish the fake ones from the real cards, and and if you look close enough, you can see all the telltale signs. You know, this isn't something that's virtually unrecognizable, like you know the Gretzky rookie, where you got to look for the orange dot, right, the mm-hmm. original printing dot mm-hmm. kind of thing. This is like serious issues with you know border size and fuzzed out stuff but it kind of makes me wonder going backwards 
in the early days of grading with like PSA and stuff like that, I wonder how many counterfeits that may have slipped through their cracks. I don't know. Because, because again, I... we're talking about this set being rare, as in quotation marks, for the time. But rare for the time is still huge production. And I would say more of this stuff probably gets sent in now because of everybody trying to get into that realm of everything has to be graded versus the buildup prior to the last couple years. So maybe not. Maybe they've gotten to the point where they can detect this stuff just as easily and toss it all. But I just wonder if they keep track of that. I wonder if that's something they would ever release and say, yep, uh, between January and December of 2020, we received 78 counterfeit 9091 OPG Premier cards. I, I don't know if they would for whatever reason, because they tend to keep everything under wraps. Yeah, they would like never that. go public and say that, but it'd be interesting if somebody would come out and say, that. yeah, we didn't grade these, but that's how many we received. Back then, I think that these counterfeits would be pretty easy to detect by a grading company, because like you said, the NHL logo on the back was fuzzy. So you knew what to look for. They knew what to look for they'd probably spot that. I mean, especially because, like, you could, like, compare it to another card, you know, just a comment from that set. Yeah, I mean, I think back then it was kind of easy to tell. I think, like, a grading company, they would have been able to spot that. Now, I think if, like, the technology that we had now, you can scan something and do a really high-resolution print, and I think it'd be harder, maybe a bit harder to detect, because back then the printing technology was different. Not a lot of people had access to, you know million dollar computer equipment like upper deck did when they like scanned and recolored the uh, ken griffey jr rookie card photo so with this you are either doing like scanning if you even had a scanner back then it would have been really expensive otherwise you were taking a picture of a picture and printing it and that was kind of how things were done the technology at the time i think it would have been easy for a grading company to spot those fakes so I'm not super worried, like, if a graded 9091 Peter Nedved card comes into my possession, I'm not really worried that it's counterfeit. Not that card. Like I know, I said, I'm just saying that. It's going to be any, it's going to be the big dogs. Right. But yeah, I just found that, that little anecdotal story of the counterfeit ones. I just wanted to bring that up, because they are out there. You just have to look, and I think if they are still out there and they are still prevalent, this would be the time that people would be trying to get one over on you. Mm-hmm. Considering all the fraud and everything that goes on now. People trying to make a buck on everything. Yeah, well, overall, I think this is a great set. And if you buy a complete set, most likely the cards are going to be all legitimate. I mean, obviously, do your homework. I've bought and sold this set and singles from this set, like, tons of times. And I've just never actually come across a counterfeit. You know, that's funny. Like, this set, I've never come across a counterfeit. So I would probably buy one if I found one just to have one. You know what I mean? Just for what reason? I don't know. Maybe for comparison's sake, just for more of the novelty of it. Like somebody tried to pass off this garbage as uh, legitimate. Otherwise, I think I've pretty much said everything I need to say about this set. I mean, it's only 132 cards. And yeah, and I would definitely recommend the set as well. I wouldn't even deter anybody from actually trying to put this together. Because of the fact that it's only 132 cards and it's probably not going to take you very long and you're going to find them. But if we were doing this podcast two years ago, I'd say buy a set, buy three sets, buy five sets and a couple boxes 
and keep them because two years from now, these sets that you're buying for $30 are going to be 150 bucks. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And and these factory sets that you're buying for forty dollars are going to be three hundred and twenty-five dollars. Yeah, go figure, right? And and these full wax boxes that are still sealed in shrink wrapped that you're buying for forty dollars are going to be selling for six hundred dollars. So uh I would have never in my right mind guessed that, but so be it. That's the other thing too. It's so funny. You see these prices on this stuff and 150 bucks for a hand collated set, 300 bucks for a factory set, right? $600 for a sealed box. Rewind it all the way to when this came out and it was 59 cents a pack or whatever. And then dealers snatched them all up and jacked them up to 10 bucks a pack. And you couldn't buy this set for 50 bucks or a hundred. It was no. two hundred. It was two hundred dollars for one hundred thirty-two cards. That's insanity. That was absolutely insanity, and everybody steered away from it. And then a couple years later, all of a sudden, nobody wanted any of it. Yeah, because the market it's, was oversaturated with all yeah. the product. And so you know, we went from here it was this much to then it was nothing for so long, and now it's back to being this much again. So I don't know. Is that the tide? Tide rolls in, tide rolls out. It was just a really long tide. <laughs> Could be. Who knows? But, yeah, definitely if you can find a set for a decent price and you don't already have one, it's a good one to have. All right. Well, I think that pretty much wraps it up and says all that we need to say about 1991 Opeachy Premiere. So we're definitely interested to know what you think about this set. Did you buy it back in the day? Did you overpay for cards of it back in the day? Did you buy it later for cheap? Did you buy it again uh, in the you know, late 90s, early 2000s? Uh, are you looking for a set now? Did you buy a set recently? What do you think of this set? We got so many questions. We want to know what our listeners think of 1991 Opeachy Premiere. So definitely you can leave a reply or you could hit us up on Twitter. I'm at Puck Junk. Tim is at the Real DFG. So thank you for listening to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. And until next time, collect what you like. For more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at PuckJunk.